Welcome to Contemplate, a Bible teaching ministry of Pastor David Robinson and brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Today we're continuing our look at the book of Acts, so please get out your Bible, and here's Pastor David. Acts 10. We've been in Acts 10 for a little while. Um, We've been in the book of Acts for even longer. Um, And in Acts 10, we've been reading about a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman uh, centurion, okay? He's an officer in the Roman army over some troops, and he's a man uh, who has power and authority within the Roman world. He's a guy who's got, uh, he's well known. He's in the city of Caesarea or Caesarea, however you want to say that. He's, he's in this city and he's well known and he is a follower of the one true God. He's a follower of God. Now this was not normal for Romans, for centurions and so on to be followers of God, right? The Jewish God, the Israelites God, uh, they had all kinds of their own fake gods that they followed, and all kinds of philosophies, and all kinds of things, and they worshipped sex, and they worshipped money, and they worshipped war, and they worshipped, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff, right? They looked for their own way, but they didn't follow God. Well, this fella, uh, Cornelius, he did follow the one true God, and, you know, he sought out, and he saw that all these other philosophies, all these other religions, all these other ways of living did not answer the questions. They did not answer the questions that his soul was asking. But when he found God through the Jews, right, he recognized it as true. And so he's following God. He's a generous giver. He prays all the time. We know that he's well-known and well-thought of among the Jews in Caesarea. And he's praying one day, and he has this vision of this angel who tells him, hey, take some guys, send them down to go get this guy named Peter from Caesarea. So he got some people, and he's like, go get Peter. Because Peter, this angel tells him, Peter is going to come and tell you what you must do. So that's what he does. Meanwhile, um, as he sends these guys, these folks down there, and Peter is, is on the roof of a house, and he's praying, and he goes into this trance, and he sees this sheet come down, and it's got all kinds of animals on it. All kinds of animals, and like creepy crawlies, and like all kinds of stuff, right? And the Jewish people, they only ate clean animals, okay? There were certain animals they could eat, and there were a bunch of them that couldn't eat, okay? Now, these were a bunch of animals that they couldn't eat, but God tells Peter, as he's in this trance, get up, kill, and eat, right? And Peter's telling God how good he is. He says, no, 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 I've never done such a thing, God. I'm not going to, obviously, God, you don't know what's what's right and good, because you're asking me to do this thing, and I've never done that. We don't do this kind of stuff. Well, God tells him three times, okay? Get up, kill, and eat. And he's, he's trying to tell Peter something. And, and Peter, as he's, as he's coming out of this, he's trying to think about what does this mean? These folks show up from Cornelius to get him, and he has them stay with him that night, which is actually pretty crazy, because Jews did not have Gentiles coming and staying in their house and so on, because you know, they were unclean. Um, but he does, and then, they, and then they head back, right? Last week we talked about, we just, the whole verse, the whole message was on the verse just where it says that Cornelius gathered his friends, right, his close friends and his relatives together in anticipation waiting for Peter to come. He's so excited. He's so excited that God is going to send him 
Someone who's going to tell him the truth, who's going to tell him what he must do. He's so excited about it that he goes out and gets his, his relatives and his close friends, and he's like, come to my house. We're going to hear from this guy. He has so much faith that in this vision, what this angel told him is going to come true, that he sort of puts his reputation on the line and gathers all these people and puts them there. And here he is, and he's waiting. And that's where we left Cornelius and Peter last week. And now we're going to see what happens. We're in chapter 10. We're at verse 25. If you have your Bible, you can look at it there. If not, your mobile device will be on the screens here. Let's read verse 25 and 26. It says, As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. Um, Awkward, right? I mean, you Peter comes in, and this guy... Like falls down. The, the, the word there suggests the kind of prostration that you would do before, you know, a mighty king where you're kissing their feet or the hem of their garment or the, or the ground in front of them. That's how Cornelius reacts. He's out, it says, he's out there waiting for him, right? He came out waiting for Peter. He's so stinking excited. And when Peter comes, he gets down on the ground, right? Gets down on the ground and uh, Peter's like, bro, that's, no, don't do that. I'm just a man. You know, get up, you know, wipe yourself up. He's like, oh, I wasn't supposed to, you know, contact. I lost the contact on the ground. Whatever he had to say to deal with whatever awkwardness that would be. I'm just thinking if it happened to me, I would think that was awkward. I'm guessing they had to work that out. But, but either way, he goes and he, and he gets up and they go into the house. We actually see this in Revelation a couple times where John, the apostle, uh, falls down and worships the, the messenger there who's, who's not God. And he says, get up, don't do that, right? So we see that here with Cornelius. Um, so Cornelius is excited though, right? He's very excited about Peter coming. Let's look at the next couple verses and see what happens. It says, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So Peter goes in to this house and sees that he's gathered all these folks. And he sees, and, and, and instead of being like, hey, this is a nice house, and how are you guys all doing? He tells them all that, you know, he thinks that they're all dirty, but God told him not to call them unclean and that, you know, it's unlawful for him to even go into this house because Jews didn't do this. Jews did not go into the house of Gentiles. Okay, remember I talked about the animals that come down and, and Peter's basically saying, I only eat kosher. I don't eat any of this stuff. I'm clean. Those things make me unclean. Gentiles didn't have those rules. So they got bacon, all the good stuff, right? And Jews don't, can't go in the house because there's bacon in there. Right? And it's going to make them ritually unclean. Or they're going to have pagan idols or they're going to have you know, this type of thing. And if they go in these homes, they're going to become ritually unclean. So they do not go in the homes of Gentiles. Even God-fearing Gentiles like Cornelius, they did not go in their homes. So he lets them know right up front that that's how he feels about it. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's unlawful for me to come in here. I did it anyway because God told me to. Um, I've come into this, into this house, right? And you've got to recognize this from Peter's perspective. Let's not forget that he was just telling God that he wasn't going to do what God said because of how clean and pure he was. And so this is a big move for Peter and, and the guys that are with him. We've seen this progression in Peter over the, over the last, you know, as the church has started here, where first, the first thing that was kind of out of 
the norm is he goes with John to the Samaritans, right? They're saying, hey, the Samaritans are following Jesus. He and John go out there to the Samaritans. We see the Holy Spirit fall on them. He recognized, hey, God's accepted the Samaritans too. And they hated the Samaritans. But at least they were half-breeds, right? They were somewhat Jewish. They somewhat followed the customs. Gentiles, they were just dirty. They were just dirty to the Jews at this time. The Jews at this time were very exclusivist in the way that they did things. So we see this progression. First, the Samaritans. Then we see him hanging out at Simon the Tanner's house. I told you during that message that a tanner was not it was not okay to go stay with or hang out with a tanner because they're always messing with dead bodies and stuff like that. And so they're always getting ritually unclean by touching these animals and it stinks and all this kind of stuff. It's just unclean. But Peter hangs out with his tanner, right? So he's, he's progressing. Then we see these guys from Cornelius come and he lodges them, right? The neighbors would have been like, you've got Gentiles going in there and everybody would have been talking, right? But Peter deals with that. Now he takes an even bigger step. He goes to the house of this Roman soldier. I don't know if you guys know this. The Jews weren't real big on Roman soldiers either. But this Roman soldier, he goes into his house, which would normally be unlawful, which would normally be, I mean, you don't talk about the neighbors talking. You just didn't do this. But he goes in there because God has called him. So we see that Peter is progressing. He's progressing, okay? He says, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He recognizes that not only was God saying, look, we're not making distinction between animals anymore. Okay? Jesus is taking care of all that, the ceremonial stuff that's going on. You don't have to worry about it. It also was saying, hey, listen, I'm telling you something deeper than this. There is no partiality. Don't call people unclean who I've called clean. Okay? So he, he's understanding. He's realizing this truth. Next verse, right? He says, because of that, therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Peter comes in. He's like, okay, I've done my part. God told me to do it. Here I am. I'm in, I'm in this house, a little uncomfortable. I don't normally do this type of thing. Why did you send for me? What's the deal? What do you want me for? So Cornelius tells Peter his story for the next few verses here. We see that, 30 through 33. It says this. So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, okay, now that you're here, now that all that's happened, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Okay. So, Cornelius is ready. Peter comes and says, what do you want? What have you sent me for? He tells a story. Here's why we sent for you. And then he says what? Tell me what God has commanded. Tell me what God has commanded. He wants to hear God's command. What is he excited about going and throwing himself on the ground in front of Peter and getting all these people together and whatever? This guy's just jacked up. What is he so excited about? He's excited to hear God's commands. Now, that's a little bit counter cultural to what we look at sometimes as Christianity. We want to go to the conference where we get to hear God's promises. What's he going to do for us? Which is nothing wrong with God's promises, by the way. But we get a little bit more jacked up about what God's going to do in our lives and how we're going to be empowered by God and that kind of stuff. That, that stuff sells. 
Okay, the conference on come hear God's commands, that doesn't sell as well. But that's where Cornelius' heart is. He wants to hear God's commands. Remember who this guy is, right? He has the power. He's got the ability. He's, he's the man. He can do whatever he wants. He can follow the Roman way. He can, he can have all the stuff, right? And he's rejected all of that to follow God. And his heart is so in love with God and desires to serve God so much that he's excited for Peter to tell him what God has commanded. When is the last time your kids threw a party and invited their relatives and close friends to hear your latest command for them? Okay? Not the way it works in my house. When there's even a command on the wind, my kids see it coming a mile away. They're hiding. Doors are closed. Headphones are on. Whatever. Right? They don't want to hear my commands. They're certainly not having a party about it. They want to avoid my commands, and that's just really hurtful, um, but <laughs> it's not. I understand, because guess what? I'm not God, right? And so my commands, maybe they don't always think that they are, you know, what is the best for them, but I just need the trash taken out or whatever, right? And so not exactly the same thing, to be fair, but here's the thing. It's a little bit different to be super excited to get a new command. It's a little bit different, right? Right? But this is the heart that Cornelius has. This is the heart that he has for God. This is the faith that he has. He believes that God loves him. He loves God, and he wants to serve him. He wants to do what God has called him to do. So what's going to happen now is Peter going to preach, right? Because that's what Peter does. He preaches. And so he's going to start preaching. Verse 34, 35, here he comes up. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, Peter's about to go into what some people refer to as the kerygma. Okay, the kerygma is the word that describes the apostles' message of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, repentance, forgiveness of sins, the whole thing. We see it. We've already seen it. We see it over and over. This is what the apostles did. He's about to do that whole thing. But this little piece that he starts with is very interesting because it sort of almost feels like it's universalist. If you don't know what universalism is, universalism is the belief that all roads lead to God. All roads lead to God. You may have heard this. There may be people who've, who have espoused this idea. Look, everyone's got their own path. Try to do what's right. Your heart will lead you. Follow your heart. All that nonsense, right? That, that, that you're, you just, whatever it is that you need to do, you go in your direction. And at the end of the day, whatever path you choose, they'll all lead to the same place. That's universalism. And it almost kind of sounds like he's saying that, look, anybody from anywhere, whatever, if you'll do kind of what's right, God will accept you. Now, that's not what Peter's saying. And you'll see by the rest of what he says in context, it's clearly not what he's saying, Okay. He is saying something different, but there is something very important in what he is saying. There's something very important. This is what Peter's saying. God has never shown partiality. It's never been a principle of God to show partiality. Now, Peter knows this. He knows this because the Torah, the teaching of the Jewish people has always said this. It's always said this, but they've gotten a little bit jacked up. They've gotten a little bit sideways, 
right? If we read Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19, it says this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, this is God's heart. This is way back. All the Jews know this. They know this, okay? God has called them to this. And this goes for us. This is a principle of God. We are not more important than other people because we're Christians. But sometimes we can be tempted to sort of feel that way, right? We were in our sins, and then, and then you're forgiven. It's this amazing thing. And then you start to walk through this life of, of, of becoming more and more holy and pure, which is awesome and good. And then somehow, somewhere in there, Satan kind of comes in and says, yeah, you are pretty good. You, you're not bad, you know? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm all right, you know? I'm cool, you know? And then they start to think, ah, oh, that is pretty good. I don't do that stuff anymore. Yeah, that guy is doing it, and I guess that makes me a little better than him, you know? That's what starts to happen. And we start to think that being a Christian or the fact that, we've, that, that we're following Jesus somehow makes us more important. Well, this is what happened with them too. But let me just tell you something. We're not more important because we're Christians. God has created all people in his image. They're important too. They're important too. And you can't show partiality. We are created in the image and likeness of God. And God shows no partiality. Now, I'm not going to um, get political here, but let me tell you something. Where you were born does not make you more important than other people. God's very clear about that. He's very, very clear about that. He says, love the stranger. Why? Because he loves the stranger. Why? Because they were strangers in the land of Egypt. The Jews were. And how were they treated? Not well. Not well enslaved. And so when they got out... When they got out from under that and God gave them victory and the, and the ability to no longer be in bondage, he said, look, now you better be nice to the stranger. You better love the stranger because I love the stranger and I show no partiality. This is a principle of God. And, and again, I don't want to get political. I, I don't want to go into some. I don't know. I'm not going to talk policy here. But the next time that you're having a conversation, wherever it is, Facebook or whatever, and the, and the issue of immigration comes up, I'm not, I'm not making policy here, but here's what I'll tell you. You better think about the fact that God said that you better love the stranger. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not, you know, let's not get all crazy here, but you better love the stranger because this is what God's called you to do. He shows no partiality. Everybody's important, okay? So, you're to love everyone. G.K. Chesterton, who I love, um, He's dead, but I mean, I love his writing. He says this, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people, right? He's got something there, right? Peter knows this is true. Peter knows, he knows in his heart, in the teaching, the Torah has, has clearly stated that he should not be showing partiality. But like I said, things got sideways. There was this period of time where the Judean Jews started practicing this exclusivism. This kind of, we're lifting ourselves up a little bit. Those people are unclean, we're clean, means we're kind of important, maybe they're not so important. 
right? Maybe they're dirty. Maybe there's something less. And this started to build up. So a scholar named J.J. Scott, he tells us this. He says, exclusivism, as practiced by many first century Judean Jews, was a development of the intertestamental period that had gone beyond the intent of God. This had developed, and it was beyond the intent of God. He never intended for this kind of exclusivism. The intertestamental period is just that period of time in history from where the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins. That's the period of time in history that's called the intertestamental period. And there was some stuff that went on there. If you, if you read the history there about what was going on during those 400 years or so, there was some stuff, and I, and I get it, okay? I get why you can become this way, and I get how you can elevate your traditions and think that because you follow them and somebody else doesn't, that that makes you better. That that makes you better, but... Peter knows it's not true, and he's learning this, right? He's learning this. He realizes this principle has always been there, always been there. He's got to love his neighbor and not treat people with partiality. Okay, so the word that he uses here, accept, acceptability, or he, he is, you're acceptable, it's like the word in context, um, can be used like the, an acceptable sacrifice, okay? We're not, we're not talking about... God has accepted people because they do good works, they're saved. That's not the kind of acceptability we're talking about. We're talking about, listen, those who seek righteousness and do good works and are seeking God are getting their heart in a state of repentance. That's an acceptable place to be able to hear and receive the message of remission of sins through Jesus Christ. That's the kind of acceptable we're talking about. Cornelius has put himself in this place where he's ready now. He's ready to hear the good news so that, in fact, he can be accepted in this other way, have peace with God, right? And so that's what's being talked about. It's not universalism. You're not saved because you do good things. That doesn't save you. But your desperate seeking of the truth with a, with a heart that desires the truth, God will make sure. God will make sure that you hear the good news. God's desire is that none should perish, and that's such good news, because no matter where a person is, no matter what life they've chosen, there's always hope. So keep praying for those you know that need Jesus. And now let me invite you to come see us here at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Get directions at axechurchnw.org. There you'll find sermon videos and a lot more. Hope to see you this Sunday and right here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson on Contemplate.